Hello, friends. I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. We are here to discuss Captain America Civil War, or as I like to call it, Iron Man 4. We have our special Marvel correspondent here to help us pull all the threads out of this movie. KJ, welcome. Thank you. So first, we're going to do a neat Marvel quiz where I attempt to make Anna and KJ squirm. And then we'll get into the discussion. And as always, we'll do Rex at the end. So let's get into it. I've been getting deeper into Marvel Comics, so I've been meeting a lot of new Marvel characters, and some of them have really interesting names. So I thought it would be fun, since we're talking about a Marvel property, to do a quiz where I pitch you two against each other in the ring of Marvel knowledge, which I'm assuming neither of you have that much of, because you're both mostly uh, MCU fans and not comics fans. So we're going to do a quiz where I ask both of you three questions about which character in the lineup is the real Marvel character. And whoever wins gets a Golden Space Bee. Yay! Yay. I love love Golden Space Bees. Anna, you're going to go first. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Who is the real Marvel character? Is it Bob, Agent of Hydra, Rapture, Monkey Ball, or Doctor Universe? Oh my god, it's gonna be something stupid like Monkey Ball, but I refuse to give that answer, so I would say Rapture. Oh, I'm sorry, that is not correct. Is it? Was it Monkey Ball? No, the correct okay. answer, the real Marvel character's name is Bob. Was Bob. Agent okay. of Hydra. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, sure it is, of course. KJ, you're next. Alrighty. Who is the real Marvel character? Elliot Stain, Golden Guardian, Giant Lady or Cyclops the Vicious? Hmm. Well, I know Giant Man is a real character, but I'm going to guess Elliot Stane. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. I've tricked you. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is a character named, I think it's Ezekiel Stane. I'm pretty sure that's it. Well, there's Obadiah Stane in the Iron Man movies, and Mm -hmm. I thought he was in the comics as well. Yes, he's in the comics as well. But his son's name is, I'm pretty sure, Ezekiel. Okay. So I tricked you. The actual real character is Golden Guardian. Golden Guardian. I thought it would have, it it could have been Cyclops the Beaches because X-Men is so crazy with their retcons and alternate Mm -hmm. universe. I totally made that up. I just pulled that out of my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Good job, Renee. Wow. Zero all. Zero all. Here we go. Anna, who is a real Marvel character? Hypno Hustler, Burning Phoenix, Hornet, or G Bomb? Hornet. Oh, man, Anna. Did I get it wrong? You got it wrong. <laughs> I just, I'm so sad. I deliberately made this one like, surely she'll choose the person named Hypno Hustler. That's the greatest thing. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> and it's real. <laughs> It's not Hornet, it's Wasp. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, it's tricky because like a lot you of these... Were, you were devious tricky. You, you got a logic through them. You did okay yesterday. 
Yeah, oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna do better on my third one. I'll get it right. Okay, KJ. Yeah. Who is the real Marvel character? Wonder Man, Flash Dancer, Poison, or Punch the Fist Jones? <laughs> well, I gotta pick Punch the Fist Jones just oh. because, you know. <laughs> Alas, that is not. That is a character I made up. <laughs> the real character is Wonder Man. Wonder Man. This is Wonder the Man. hardest quiz ever. It is. Well, because, you know, them could be real, right? I would buy any single one of these as a Marvel character. Wow. Marvel, call me. (laughs) I can apparently make up names for characters. That's right. Oh, it's fine. We have two more questions. We can do this. Okay. Anna, who is a real Marvel character? Is it Dark Patriot, Awesome Kong, Gladius, Maximus, or Venom? Venom. And it gets a point! Yeah, that... That was easy. Oh, that that was easy. Are you serious? Yes. I'm really that proud. Spider Man character, right? Yes, it is. I don't know enough about Spider Man. I just know he's a real character. <laughs> so I'm not even going to pretend I know anything about Spider Man. Where I know <laughs> Venom from, I'm pretty sure is like the that Spider Man movie. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now all Spider Man comic fans are like, "Oh God, Renee, I just had a stroke." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now it's one zero, KJ. Yeah, uh, here we go. Who is the real Marvel character? Is it the Silver Bullet, Sugar Daddy, Panthera, or Tigra? Uh, I think the Silver Bullet was a character in the Tick, which is not a Marvel. Tigra. Yay! KJ gets a oh. point. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully you knew it wasn't. You uh, hopefully you knew that the Sugar Daddy wasn't a real character. Oh yeah, no, I I knew that wasn't a real character. Although it's Marvel, so who knows? <laughs> and now we need an actual tiebreaker, which I didn't yes. think we would need. I thought for sure that somebody would come out on top immediately. Okay, Anna, who is the real Marvel character? Is it Union Jack, Dino Bravo, Doctor X, or Thunder Down Under? Oh my god, I just, I can't, I can't say Thunder Down no, Union Jack. Wow, you got it right, yay! Did you just guess? Yes. <laughs> Multiple choice, baby. And I'm like, Union Jack is a character off that I also don't know, but apparently he's real. Okay, KJ. This is yeah. the moment of truth. That's right. Who is a real Marvel character? Is it Sunset Bane, Chemical Man, Jack Hammer, or James Dugan? James Dugan. Oh, I'm sorry. The real the oh. real character is Sunset Bane. Sunset oh, man. Bane. Yeah. Where did you get these people from? They're just Marvel characters. You can go to the yeah, Marvel but... site and look them up. Oh, okay. So this means it's two to one at the end. Uh, Anna wins. Anna wins. Yay! Yay, Anna. Go, Anna. You did it. That was great. <laughs> what I've learned from this is that I'm per- I'm wonderful at picking up names for characters. That's what I'm taking <laughs> away. Twice you fooled me by picking a char- by using a last name of a character I knew was a Marvel character. Mm-hmm. So I fell for that twice. So maybe that means that we are not real fangirls. Oh no! Uh huh. I think I think we are. <laughs> Success for the first Marvel quiz. I'm sure we'll do more of these in the future. And... Oh, lads! For every single Marvel movie that oh, comes no. out. Do you know how hard it is to come up with quizzes, Anna? You can come up with a quiz next time. <laughs> I'm sure we can find so many different characters from X Men. Fuck, mm-hmm. we're doomed. <laughs> Okay. <laughs>
Captain America Civil War came out at the end of April and beginning of May. And although we're a little late to the discussion of it, we are finally getting together to unpack all the new canon and the things that happened in this movie that, as I said, I like to refer to as Iron Man 4. Because it was great for me. It was, it was really good. It was really good for me, too. Avengers 3 was oh, an excellent God. movie. As you know, I was so excited for it. I actually went straight to the movies after my flight from Brazil. Because I just I just wanted to see it. And I, was, I, I told my partner, let's go now. And he said, okay. Did we all like the movie? Yeah, quite a lot. I also thought it was an excellent Avengers 3 and Iron Man 4. Um, I'm a Captain America fangirl. I want Captain America 3. Yeah, that was sad. I feel like I didn't quite get it. Once I was able to settle in and accept that I wasn't going to get Captain America 3, that it was going to be really more of an Avengers and Iron Man movie, I was very happy with it and I enjoyed it very much. How would you rate it within um, the MCU? Pretty high. Winter Soldier will always be my favorite, but I would say this is easily top five. And you, Renee? I'm still not over not getting a Captain America 3 because I feel like it's cheating. I feel like Marvel has cheated and I feel bitter about it not being able to have like an actual completed trilogy, which I feel like Tony Stark got in his trilogy, even though the end of Iron Man 3 is a mess. And we still don't know how the Dark World with the the last door is going to close out that trilogy. Maybe it's just because of the nature of the character that Steve is. His story, once he gets to the future, is so intertwined with the rest of the Avengers that there's no way to really tell a story without involving them. I understand that, but I'm still sort of sad that I didn't get more of Steve and Bucky. You're right, because how do you... Because all of the other Avengers, they have their own world. They have other things that they build for themselves, and Steve doesn't really. Not At least not in this... Not in the series that we have, right? Everything about him is either World War Two or Shield slash Hydra, and then that makes him intertwined with the Avengers. I'm hopeful that we'll get more of a resolution to his arc in the next Avengers movie. You know, hopefully they don't just leave it here. We know that Chris Evans is signed for the last two Avengers movies. And we know that this same production team is making them. I'm hopeful that um, we'll get some resolution and some more, you know, some more real character arc and a good uh, rounding out out of it in the Avengers movies. But I I do continue to be somewhat disappointed that we didn't get it here. But why is Captain America's story, though? What is his arc if not? Well, I'm not sure they know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's kind of the problem. I'm not sure they know what his full arc is. So that might be part of why it's a little muddy in comparison to, say, Tony's arc, which is very strong. Or Thor's arc, because then Thor has the whole thing with his father and his brother and right. his world. And, and of course, then the Hulk could have plenty of movies there for him as well, because he has his own thing too. But that's not the same with, with Steve. And now that they froze Bucky, what is there left? Dear Steve, find your pal Sam and give him lots of hugs. I'm okay with well, that. Well, he, he does have his people. We see that at the end. He gathers up his, his team again. But So, Anna, what did you like about this movie? The f- top one thing that I liked the most was Black Panther. I like that character very much. This introduction, I like. I liked the way that not only they introduced the character, but they also they developed him. That was this one scene that I thought was so incredible because throughout the movie, he kept using his claws coming out of his fingers, 
And in the end, there is that very strong, amazing scene with him withdrawing the claws, just as he decided not to enact the revenge that he wanted to. He had been trying to do for the whole movie. The whole visual of that scene was so well done with that character. The other thing that I liked the most was, I mean, I would not have expected me to sit here and say this to you, but I loved (laughs) Spider-Man. That came as a complete surprise to me. When he first appeared in that trailer, I said, they have Spider-Man? Aren't we all tired of Spider-Man? I was one of those people. And now I take it all back. I am perfectly fine about having a new Spider-Man series because I just loved that kid so much. And the other thing that I liked, um, again, it goes together with the topic of character development, but I really liked the way that they did that for all of the characters that you had a little bit of really in-depth characterization. You had that with Falcon, you had that with Black Panther, with Spider-Man, with obviously with Steve and Tony, but also with the Vision and Wanda. I liked their relationship very much. I liked like the vision that they had there at the moment when she tried to walk away and he said, no. That was like so cold and so cooling. I think that was a really well done because every single character had a little bit of a moment to shine in that movie and, and it still didn't detract from the awesome action sequences, which would be another thing that I loved. What about you guys? Anna took a couple of mine. Black Panther, of course, and how awesome that character is and how excited I am for his movie now. And I can't believe it's not until 2018. And also the balancing of there are so many characters in this movie and it could have, you know, they could have ended up all being either in the background or it could have become like an incoherent mess. But they balanced it so well, all the different characters and their arcs and their personalities. And everybody got a little bit of an arc. Even if it's just a, even if it's just a little, uh, you know, very small moment of it, there was something for everybody. I would say of the action scenes in particular, the fight scene at the airport was so well done. There was so much going on, but again, every character got their moment, not just to shine, but to show not just their own character, but their relationships. Like the whole thing with Natasha and Clint fighting, and you know, we're still friends, right? And that whole. Um, You know, you could tell none of them really wanted to be fighting each other, except for maybe T'Challa. They had a goal to accomplish, and the only way they could do it was to, you know, it had gotten to the point where this was the only thing left to do. And I just, that was such a great, well-choreographed, and parts of it were really funny. I agree that Spider-Man was used really well. Another thing that I wanted to mention is that I think uh, this was one of the better villains that we've had, Zemo. He knows that he can't outfight the Avengers. He knows that. You know, he's not going after them with with firepower. He finds their actual weak spots and goes after them in a way that I thought held up pretty well. And I thought, you know, it was, the actor was great. It really sold me on Zemo and why he was doing what he did. In a series that I believe tends to have very weak villains, um, I thought they did a pretty good job with this one. The very beginning with Tony and his memory machine, Barf. But I really loved that whole that whole scene. Oh my god, it was so uncanny valley though, watching the young Robert Downey Jr. Like I know they can do that with technology now, but oh my god, it was so weird. The scene and the way that he plays it is just so 
like emotionally gutting and the way that the Russos just really seem to get his character and how much he struggles with guilt and grief and not processing his emotions correctly. Who builds a billion dollar machine to deal with their grief? You know what I mean? Tony Stark, mm-hmm. apparently, because he yes. doesn't he doesn't know how to process his emotions. And I really, really love that. My second favorite thing was there's a moment in the movie where Zemo activates the Winter Soldier and there's this fight scene. It's not really with the heavy hitters. You have Tony with his little hand blaster thingy trying to take Bucky down with flashes of light and noise. But then you have Natasha and you have Sharon and you have T'Challa and they're all like trying to take this unstoppable force down. And I just really loved the characterization in that scene, the way the characters interact with their abilities poor Natasha was like you could at least remember me like that Mm. that line this was my favorite T'Challa moment in the movie just how poised and cool he is like not cool as in like awesome but he is awesome but like he's just like chill even when he's fighting he's just got this distance from it and I thought that the actor just did a really great job I was just really impressed and my third thing might be weird, but I really liked the small budding romance between Vision and Wanda. I thought, yes, I do ship this girl with Robo Jesus. That is true. <laughs> Robo Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Robo Jesus! At this the beginning, correct. that is not my term. I took that. That was somebody on Tumblr coined that term. The very from the very beginning, when he like walks through her wall and she's like, "Fizz doors." <laughs> I get optimism from those two characters, which is really strange considering Wanda's origins. If you want to ask me what heterosexual pairing in this movie worked, uh, it's going to be this one. I didn't see the relationship as romantic. I totally did. I totally read it that way. I did too. Yeah, because Vision is just so odd. Like, he's so besotted in in that scene where he's trying to make her food. I didn't read it like that at all. That's a surprise. Interesting. I for one moment when you said that you liked the romance, I thought you were gonna say the romance between Captain America, Steve, and what's her name. I, I, I'm just gonna fire you now for even even going there at all. <laughs> I, I know. I'm like like if I ever say that, just be like you are not Renee, you are a scroll. Goodbye. <laughs> we can argue about that one later. Oh, oh yeah, yes, put a pen in that one. We have to we have to oh, touch on that later. What are the so we talked about things we liked, but obviously there's some things in the film that we thought could maybe have used some improvement. Anna, do you think anything in this film could have been done better? The what? romance. Oh well, of course. Here we go. KJ, you got your wish. It's coming up right now. I figured it would be. It's on my list too of things that could have been done better, but I think yeah. that I am much less negative about it than some other people are. No, so. I am not I am not completely against it. I think it was just one a little bit gross that they jumped to kissing pretty much after coming back from Peggy's funeral. And then the kiss just came out of nowhere. I don't I don't think there was any build up to it at all. And it was maybe I I don't know. I don't completely agree with the lack of build up. I feel like they did for me, there was enough looks between them and then working together to try and find Bucky and then you know she the way she helped Steve and Sam listen in on the conversation and there was definitely I felt enough of a vibe between them um, right. and it wasn't right after the it wasn't right after the funeral I mean it we know at least basically a few days. well a lot basically. of stuff has happened a lot of stuff happened in that time 
I guess I feel like they could have done more. I definitely agree with that, um, that it wasn't built up as much as it could have been. But I also, I feel like they did the bare minimum. And I would have liked more than the bare minimum, obviously. But I think given all the things they had to juggle in this movie, I don't think it answered so badly. I have way different thoughts than KJ does, obviously, because we've disagreed about this several times at this point. This part of the movie is getting tangled up with external criticisms of the movie where it's very obvious that Disney has basically no homoed it, the relationship between Steve and Bucky, and the way that they're choosing to do it. I'm talking about the external criticism, not what the actual writers intended, but like a lot of the criticism coming at this film is that Bucky and Steve's relationship which was extremely important to them in the past and both for Steve and the Winter Soldier as he tries to save Bucky and then in this one feels like it feels like they've deliberately inserted distance and like even when you see them together in scenes they're not to derail from the actual point but like they're separated they have they have a space between them and so I think that those criticisms about no homoing and whatever else are getting tangled up with what's happening with Steve and Sharon, which is the Marvel people wanting to do a callback to Steve and Sharon in the comics, which is fine because that's a thing that Marvel movies do in a way that, you know, honors like the comics that they're pulling from to adapt the story. And because this movie was so packed full of stuff, you basically have dudes writing romance. That's what's happening here. Dudes, you have some heterosexual dudes writing romance, which they cannot do because see every terrible action movie with romance where the woman gets to be an object i think that the civil war avoids that because sharon has her own really specific arc in this movie that's great i hate how they just sort of brush her off at the end after that kiss that's my problem with the kiss mostly she disappears it feels like they had it happen and it wasn't a moment for him and her it was a moment so the audience through as through the ciphers of Steve of Sam and Bucky could like admire Steve's heterosexuality. That's yeah. my problem with it. I don't have a problem with Steve and Sharon. Period. I think actually that Sharon is an awesome character, and I wish they would just give her a, her own thing to do somewhere, like in a, her own movie. That'd be great. If you read your stuff in a queer way, like I do all, all the time, it's really easy to like make the mistake of tangling up what the Marvel is actually doing versus what the fans want. And what you want from a narrative if you're a queer viewer, it just feels very strange. Because I think they cut a scene. I think I've seen some screen caps where they actually cut a scene between Steve and Sharon. And whatever that scene was, I really think that they shouldn't have cut it. It's really, they're really, really awkward. Awkward, awkward, awkward. It's always awkward. Like, I would have expected that scene where they kissed to be less awkward than it was. And I don't know why it was so awkward. Because it's very obvious that these characters have chemistry together. So why was it? awkward i think maybe the part that made it so awkward was the joke part with sam and bucky in the car i feel like if maybe they hadn't done that if they had played it straight instead of making it a joke it would have made it mean more to people who might not have bought the romance otherwise actually when i saw the movie a second time i watched that scene sort of looking for the lens you saw it with the with it being framed as as a joke and i didn't feel it that way at all yeah no a lot of people um, I thought disagree that it was, i thought that it was sam and 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 bucky being encouraging of their friend finally stepping up and and kissing the girl but i mean i think that it's a i think that you're 
just because I didn't read it that way doesn't mean that I think your reading is wrong. And I, I, I mean, I think you make a lot of fair, a lot of good points in your analysis. And I totally agree that I wish they hadn't just shuffled her off stage immediately. I would have loved for her to be at that airport fight. Exactly. I would. So would I. I think that, you know, I understand why she wasn't there because it was, <laughs> frankly, it, it, the teams were even. Mm-hmm. Um, without her and and she would have unbalanced it a little bit but they could have just I, dumped I, scott who we didn't really need him man sorry he was fun sorry it's fine i'll stop i'll stop no, thinking I, i'm poor ant man but anyway yeah i i think that it would have been better if she'd been involved post that because yeah, kind of shuffling her off that way when she'd done so much before sort of reinforces the whole woman as prize for hero the narrative sort of insinuated that she was going to be on the run. So if she was already on the run for taking his stuff out yeah. of storage, why not just go with him? Yeah. But like I said, I just think that male, male screen, screen, screen writers, screenplay writers, writers, period. Stop, stop trying to write, stop. Don't write romance. Five year moratorium on men writing romance and action <laughs> movies. That's my new, my new goal. <laughs> read, read some romance novels, guys. You can do it. I don't know about you guys, but I was kind of like disappointed that Natasha just, disappeared from the movie there's not a, a last scene with natasha with a lot of the female characters it feels like because i don't have that many pepper gets completely cut out they're on a break she and tony are on a break she's not even in the movie then sharon gets shuffled off after being the prize steve won for being a hero i guess then natasha she has a, she has an arc but then her arc just sort of ends and it's a mystery it's like a big question mark what happens to her does she go on the run is she with steve at the end is she her own agent we don't really get a satisfactory answer and that happens no. that happens with a lot of the characters not attached to steve's you know group after the film and i think that's a big problem because it seems like all the men in this in the narrative get closure bucky gets closure Rhodey gets closure. I mean, even Zemo sort of gets closure. I mean, not the closure he wanted. But but she doesn't. I just don't. I just continue to be disappointed with the way that this movie sidelines its women. And I really think that they need to step up their game a little bit. I'm the only one here that thinks the fight scenes were too long, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm the only one. I think so. I'm <laughs> yeah. the minority. I thought that the chase scene with Bucky and Black Panther was too long. Oh my god, are you kidding me? They were faster than cars! No, actually, I think I might re- agree with you on that one. On the rewatch, it felt like it dragged a little bit. Oh, they could have they could have so cut much. a few minutes out of that one. Um, and about- I also thought the airport scene was too long, but apparently everybody disagreed with me there. And what about Steve versus the helicopter? Oh boy. He's oh, <laughs> arm <gasps> mama mia you know there's a there's an interview going around with him i have no idea it's in, it's text imposed over pictures so i don't know if it's real but he claims he was like is there any way i can take my shirt off does it make any sense and they're like no it doesn't make sense i'm sorry i'm like damn <laughs> he knows what he knows what people want that's right. What I think is really sad is that apparently Sebastian Stan like bulked up for this movie and it's pointless because he's always under like eight layers. Of- yeah, yeah, we can never see anything. We didn't we don't even get to see like his his whole arm. One thing that I didn't get and I I'm not really great at politics. The accords came from Tony via General Ross and Tony who is really drowning under a lot of guilt 
about everything that he's never dealt with because Tony has a lot of PTSD and depression and anxiety and he's not really getting help for them. He just signs on to these accords, but these accords look really long and they give them three days to sign and they don't seem to give the Avengers any sort of like negotiating room and this seems really strange to me. Well, then I think we are approaching the part of this podcast in which I'm going to say, well, none of this makes sense. Hmm. None of it. The whole premise of Civil War to me is complete bullshit. How so? Maybe I don't know the characters as well as you both do, and maybe you are going to disagree with me. For, For example, I can't imagine Iron Man being on the side of Iron Man. I just can't imagine him siding with complete control by the government over his stuff. I mean, I know that he's being driven by guilt and, and then he understands all the things that he lost and all the all the damage that he has caused and he thinks there has to be some sort of you know control over that. But I can't imagine him being on that side. I just find it really implausible. I find the whole plot of Civil War implausible and therefore it just falls apart to me if I try to think of it. If I go and I see it as a mini character development for each one of them, if I see it as a great ensemble cast doing awesome fight scenes, yes. But if I think too much about the Civil War premise i just um, no and and i think there are certain things about that movie that makes it even more implausible for me for for example the the airport scene it's amazing it's incredible but then you have things like natasha and clint fighting but they are not really fighting and i'm like what is this saying this is bullshit steve and Sam made the executive decision not to tell tony about what they had discovered they're just pushing through to get to these remaining super soldiers so they don't get unleashed because that that's what they think the most plan, plan is to unleash the rest of these super soldiers who would then therefore be unstoppable. Yeah. Tony shows up with his team and he recruits a, a young kid to capture the rest of the Avengers. That was Spider-Man's whole point. I mean, they shoved him in there, whatever, but like the whole point was to detain Because, I mean, if you think about the scene where Tony is basically begging General Ross, he's begging to go and take them himself instead of letting soldiers do it. Think about Tony Stark as a character. Now think about that scene with him and General Ross where he is begging to go and get Steve because he's watching everything fall apart. He wants 72 hours and then he's like, he just accepts the 36 hour change that General Ross gives him. And so at the airport, like he's having a breakdown. He's like, I'm trying to keep you from ripping the Avengers apart. They don't want to hurt each other. Like, that's not the point of that fight. The point of the mm-hmm. fight is to detain. And it becomes much more than that. Because like even when you fight for pretend, somebody is going to get hurt. The fight wasn't real until the fight was over. And then the fight was real. Yeah. That's the point of that scene. I totally buy Tony being on the side of authority because I think that he feels like when he doesn't have somebody controlling him, he feels like he's out of control and he needs somebody to put him under control. And so he welcomes this. I don't know when to say no. So I need somebody who says no for me. So that's kind of how I saw him, why I saw him submitting to authority. Yeah, but this is the thing for me. Why would he accept the government's authority over, say, the Avengers' authority? 
Because he Why? doesn't trust the Avengers either anymore. His positions in Civil War actually mirror his positions in Iron Man 1. If you go back and rewatch the first Iron Man, it's just that he has changed as a person. Like, he's a different person now. And so the person in Iron Man 1 who refused to give the government his suits is now a couple crosses beyond that per- that person that he was, where he's watched himself, you know, create a murder bot and who's killed everybody, like, killed a bunch of people, who's watched the team he funds accidentally hurt people that will change your perspective because if he's funding the avengers because he is he says it in the very beginning scene when they're talking about the accords but wanda and steve and natasha and sam go to a country and get a bunch of diplomats killed and he's funding that so what makes that any different than obadiah stain selling his weapons to terrorists and those weapons hurting other people am i like am i pulling stuff out of my ass here you can disagree with me no i think that's a great analysis i'd never thought of it that way before but that totally makes sense so that's why i think that that's why i think tony takes the position he's done he does because of those things and because he's piled under all this guilt who that he's not dealing with he's not he's not in therapy and when he tries to talk to people about it you know think about the cutscene from Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. Where he's trying to talk to Bruce and Bruce falls the fuck asleep. I'm not that type of doctor. You're a friend. It doesn't matter if you're not a doctor. Just listen. You know what I mean? So he's not dealing with anything. So the fact that he goes and agrees with these accords is a combination of all those changes that he's lived through since Iron Man 2 when he refused to give his stuff to the government and not dealing with his emotional problems. I I see that. I I mean, I see where you're coming from too. I see it's kind of hard too because there's so a lot of like if like a lot of this stuff is not really explicit. It's really implicit, and I think if you don't Mm -hmm. like if you're just watching these on a surface level, it's really hard to work around to seeing where he's coming from. I agree with you there. I think you have to like sit down and work. Yeah, but there is also the question that why. I understand what you're saying, and I and I and I appreciate it. But I would expect Tony to be a little bit more dubious and cautious when it comes to accepting the accords, for example. Uh, why would he believe the government would be the the solution for his problems? This is why I don't. He do, I don't know I, if he this does. Is why I don't, I don't know if I don't, he does. Like that's I don't the problem. Buy it. That's the I problem. Think I don't it, think he does. I just don't think he... I guess the question is, who else? I mean, given the the real world, they're trying to keep it somewhat to the real world and they don't want to make up some other council because you know how we know how well that worked with the World Council. The UN is pretty... And the UN isn't really the government either. I mean, the UN is... I'm not sure exactly that I would say that the UN is the government. I think that, you know, in realistically speaking, who else would it be if you want to put an international force, a force that works internationally under some sort of supervision? Mm. also i don't think with the accords that part of the thing is them giving because i don't think that the government can come in and like take his shit they can order like they can probably order him around maybe like go here do this but i'm not sure they can actually take his intellectual property so like the criticism like tony would never give his suits away i'm not sure he's giving his i don't think he would sign his tech away i think he's just made himself like no but but he is metaphorically isn't it well yeah i mean technically yeah but i also but you also see as soon as he learns the truth from friday about what's actually going on he immediately breaks the accords himself and and no so this is the thing i'm saying it just sounds so 
flimsy the whole thing to me. It, I mean, literally, it is flimsy. But that I mean, that's kind of the point for them to be flimsy because you need them to be flimsy. So later on, when everybody like comes to their senses about how they were backed into a corner and pressured, and this is like this whole situation just seems from General Ross seems to be ta- like targeted to you know break them up. And that actually brings me to one of my questions. So the narrative is really clear about the villain of Civil War being Zemo, but General Ross himself. He seems really similarly framed, and the narrative does much less to condemn him beyond that one, oh, I'm going to put you on hold joke that Tony makes, and maybe his treatment of Wanda, where he has her in the raft, straightjacketed. But he seems like this really foreboding, abusive figure who puts the Avengers in a situation where they're not, like, they don't have time, they're being rushed, and he, as much as Zemo, seems to be a a wedge between all of them. He certainly wasn't framed as sympathetic. We weren't meant to like him or necessarily agree with him. I feel like one of the things the movie did do pretty well was to treat this as a complex situation that has no one right answer. I thought they did pretty well at explaining why the arguments for and against accepting control, but yeah, I don't I don't think that Ross was ever shown in a particularly positive light. Even if you do agree that they need some control, I don't know that it, Ross is the one that I would but and not that Ross would be in charge, I don't think, but do you agree that they need to be controlled? So what is your take? Like what side are you on? Do you I'm on team it's complicated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, me and KJ both. This is my problem with it. This is my problem with the, the Accords. I don't think they would be a bad idea, but you need a body between the Avengers and the UN itself. Mm-hmm. You need a different body like that has Avengers representatives on it. They need room to negotiate. And because the Accords were just formed and just shoved at them and going, well, it's, th- it's this or you get to retire, that just erases any nuance that you could have and creates nothing but conflict, which is what, I mean, this is what the story tells What happens, yeah. 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 If if I'm on team anyone, actually, it's team Natasha. Because I thought that her approach of, you know, let's let's sign on with this for now, and then we can be involved with making it actually into something that can actually work. I thought that was the most logical and sensible position that any of them took. Yeah, pretty much. Natasha's position was my position. If you had to choose, I mean, she chooses, she chooses Tony's team as a, as a team situation. Good job marketing. She sides <laughs> with Tony initially, not for the reasons Tony wants to do it, but for her own reasons, which I think are good and they're really well stated. But once the circumstances change, she, she realizes that it just won't work. As it is, yeah. That was something that she needed to learn for herself. Mm-hmm. I, don't I think, think that was very true to character. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I mean, a lot of people called it early on, like, "Oh, they're she's on Team Iron Man. That's not realistic. She she's gonna she's a double agent, and she is a double agent, sort of, in and in sort of in a way. But she was on Tony's side. Like, she did agree no. with him. No, and a lot of people. Words. She if she had a team, she's Team Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> this was my question, actually: is that do we think that the whole Team Cap versus Team Iron Man thing is supported by the movie? Or is that all because of the marketing and we wouldn't be framing it this way if it hadn't been marketed so heavily that way? Yeah, I would have never framed it that way without the marketing. When Steve first goes rogue, he does it because he and Sam have this conversation between each other without the rest of the team and say, oh, well, we can't go to Tony for help. Like this is because there are two movies here at at the point at which Steve, Steve rescues Bucky from being triggered and him and Sam decide what to do. 
there are two ways that the movie could go. You could either have Stephen Sam say, "Okay, we have we have to go to the team. We have to go to Tony, and we have to tell him what we've discovered. We have to ask mm-hmm. him for help." So if Stephen Sam had gone to Tony, that would have been a completely different movie. They chose not to, and that was a completely different movie. So there's two stories here. And which way do you go if you want more conflict? You obviously go with Steve doing exactly the thing that Tony did in Ultron. This time, it's not Steve. It's not Tony and Bruce doing it. It's Stephen Sam. It's not as nuanced to frame it as a team situation. And but that makes it easier to market. To choose a team is to erase the nuance. Even if they hadn't marketed it this way, I suspect there would have been some people going into it this way because I haven't read the comic, but I understand from what I understand that was much more of a team situation picking sides and fighting it was a lot less nuanced that's my understanding of the of the situation so I think people were sort of primed to think of it that way and you know it's funny in a lot of analysis of this film I hear people talk about the accords and calling it registration which was the issue in the comics but it's not I don't feel like the movie framed it as as registration at all I thought that it wasn't about all powered people it was just the Avengers specifically that's that would be covered by the accords yeah because they were because they were the group operating internationally right they were going over borders they were doing their own thing they were not communicating with local law enforcement so it makes it less about way less about like registering your identity it wasn't about identities at all it was because none of them really operate secretly it's not the same sort of secret identity thing that's going on often in the comics and also in the comics i've learned these new terms recently called like watsonian and doyleist analysis Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> uh, which I didn't really. I, did, I I understood the concepts. I just didn't know they had names. And in the comics, it's much more of a situation where you have characters, and the, whoever is writing the character at the time just twists the character to fit into the Civil War plot, and which is why Civil War, looking back on it, is a hot mess. In the MCU, this whole Civil War plot is actually much more supported by characterization in previous films because we all we already know that Tony struggles with guilt and struggles with guilt over his weapons being used illegally or abusively, whether that weapon is a missile or that weapon is the team he funds. And and we already know that Steve is willing to burn the world down to do what he thinks is right. We already know that he will go to great, amazing lengths for Bucky. This version of Civil War, I think, works much better, even though, as Anna says, if you start to examine it on any sort of like critical level, you start to have to make compromises for logic. Yeah. Winter Soldier taught us anything. It's that Steve has excellent reason to mistrust authority. Even though I am on team It's Complicated or team Natasha, I totally understand where Steve is coming from and why the experiences of his life cause him to completely reject this sort of oversight. I wish they'd made that a little more explicit if they'd said something about how, yeah, I used to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. and then it turned out S.H.I.E.L.D. was always high. But if they'd made that explicit, I think it I think that would have been a little stronger. After Steve woke up, he got to watch the government that he worked for as Captain America doing some really shady things throughout history. So already he is primed to be like, oh, God, really, guys? Then you get the Hydra reveal. So that happens. And then now the government's coming to him being like, okay, you can't operate unless you agree to this, this giant book of stuff. <laughs> and I don't really blame him for saying no, given his yeah. experiences. Just like I don't blame Tony for saying yes, given his experiences. Team complicated. We, so, we've veered into very serious territory. Does anybody else have any questions that they haven't asked yet? I think I've asked all mine. I have one question. What did you think of Aunt May? I was initially not down with hot young Aunt May, but then I was reminded that Marissa Tomei, who plays Aunt May, is 51, the same age as Robert Downey Jr. 
51, you can be an aunt at 51 and you can be hot at 51. So I'm okay with it. Absolutely. Yes. I have no problem. I, like, I never had a problem with her being cast. Yeah. I just thought it was really interesting that, and when I say interesting, I mean, I'm going to throw up in my mouth if they do it. I'm it's really the romance, right? nervous that they split Tony and Pepper up so he can date Aunt May and be like a mentor to Peter. But if that's a thing, then she's going to have to be told that Peter Spider-Man because he can't date her knowing that Peter is Spider-Man and not tell her. I'm just, and I, I agree. And I, yeah. I'm just super grossed out by this possibility. And I just want to go to the Spider-Man writers and be like, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Leave it alone. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared or do it right. this, so. Or do it yeah. right. If you got to do it, do it right. Make it an issue that he does. If he doesn't disclose it to her, make it an issue and make it come out. Absolutely. That's my big fear with, uh, Aunt May, and May, and May. I really liked her though in this movie. I thought she was me great. too. She was super, I loved it when she and Peter come into the narrative. Like it just gets so like optimistic and upbeat. And I like I really hope that's the tone that Spider Man takes. I really liked the whole dynamic. I thought it worked out pretty well. Marvel wedged Spider Man in there on purpose. They wanted Spider Man in this movie. It did not make any like super duper narrative sense. Like I've already seen tons of. Oh my god, Tony Stark brought a minor to a superhero fight. Well, number one, he deliberately says, stay away, web people up, don't get in the way. He benches him as soon as he gets hurt. He's very clear that he doesn't want Peter to be injured. Number two, Marvel wanted this to happen. You can't blame Tony Stark for Marvel wanting this to happen. <laughs> Tony's a child abuser. Oh my god, fuck off. This is a, uh, this is a to go back to an earlier topic, this is a Watsonian complaint about a Doyleist problem. Because, you know, they're trying to, they're making complaints about what the character did when it was totally driven by versus outside the narrative. Yeah. Anyway, I thought Tony did a good job in the movie itself of being clear that he cared a lot about Peter's safety. Mm -hmm. The whole point is it's not, it wasn't supposed to be a fight. Like I said earlier, the fight wasn't a fight until after it was over. Thinking back on the whole movie as a whole and all the characters who got arcs, the main Avengers don't get closure. Bucky is a, is now sleeping. Steve rescued his team, but they're in the wind. Tony is at this big empty facility with no with nobody but Vision, who is very depressed. And <laughs> Rhodey, who has been in, like critically injured. Tony is obviously going to be blaming himself for that. More guilt. Just what he needs. Just what he needs. <laughs> and then, I mean, he gets this letter and his phone from Steve, but really none of these characters have closure yet the only character actually in this movie that gets a full arc and closure is t'challa i've heard it suggested that for all the things that we thought this movie was going to be about what the movie is actually about is revenge and the futility of seeking it if we read it that way then this is absolutely t'challa's movie because that's yeah. his whole arc is you know he's going to seek revenge for his father's death and then he sees what the pursuit of revenge did to zemo and what it's doing to to Tony and, and Steve and Bucky. And he's like, no, I don't want this. I, I think that there's, you know, we can look at a lot of the movie through that lens. And it makes it really into, also into a Black Panther movie. Yeah. <laughs> and another person we could say is the real main character of this movie. I just, I thought that was really interesting. That's a good point. I agree. I came away from this movie sort of slotting it in above Avengers, but below mm. Iron Man 3. I have a lot of problems with Iron Man 3, but I still really like it a whole lot. The Winter Soldier's at the top of the stack here, but I'm not sure at this point if a movie like that is ever going to happen again in the MCU. 
as part of like the Avengers narrative with these specific characters, it's too sprawling. I have to watch all of them again. Well, damn it, you, you only need like twenty like twenty four hours or something. There's a lot of them, <laughs> and maybe one day we'll get our Steve movie, our third Captain America movie. We you, we got Avengers three in this movie, so now it's time for Captain America three in the the third Avengers movie. After this, after Winter Soldier and this movie, I maybe it's reckless for me to say that I trust the Russos and uh, Marcus and McFeely, who are the writers. I trust them to be able to pull things off. I trust them, except when they write romance. <laughs> yeah, but they gave me, they gave me, at least Marcus and McFeely gave me the first Avenger. So I do have to give them credit for the romance in that. Congratulating on writing tragic romance, Marcus and McFeely. Good <laughs> <Yes>. work. <laughs> tragic now, now try to write contemporary romance. Give it a shot. Oh, Come on. You know, we haven't even, we haven't mentioned Peggy yet. And I need to, oh, you know, take let's end it. Let's end this on a, like, a memorial note. In this to, podcast, yeah, to note. both Peggy Carter and also Agent Carter, the TV show. Oh, I'm still in denial on that one. Think about Steve looking at this huge document and then getting that text. Who texts a death announcement to somebody who cared about that, somebody else that much? Probably a, probably a random nurse who doesn't really know him very well and just promised to keep him posted. I'm Maybe. so sad. It was uh, so depressing. Yeah. I mean, we knew it was coming. We knew we were going to lose her, but it's just yeah. really hard. If we had to, and I mean, obviously, it was coming. It had to come in order for Steve to be able to move on with his life. On that level, I appreciated how it was handled, but I'm still sad. And then for me to watch this movie and then to have Agent Carter canceled in the same week yeah. was so depressing. <laughs> like the second time I watched the movie was after the cancellation had been noted, announced and I got much more emotional about it. The first time I was like, well, okay, she's dead now, but we might still get her adventures going forward in the TV show, but then for the TV show to be canceled and to make it all sort of final. Very sad. Very sad. We love you, Margaret Carter. We do. And we'll miss you. close out our episode on Captain America Civil War, we're going to do some wrecks. Anna, what do you got for us this week? So I remember that years and years and years ago, I read a trade written by New Gaiman, and it's called Marvel 1602. And it's the entire Marvel universe transported to uh, Elizabethan England. So, for example, you have Nicholas Fury is Sir Nicholas Fury, head spy of Queen Elizabeth. And then you have uh, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, he's a magician. And you have an Inquisition, and the Inquisition actually persecutes and imprisons witch bread, which are actually the mutants. So you have the X-Men there. So you have the, everybody there. But there is a point to this story, and you, you learn about it, why everybody has been transported to 1602 by the end of this trade. And it's absolutely brilliant. I haven't read in a long time, but I remember really, really loving it and finding it proper new game and brilliant kind of thing. Okay, KJ, how about you? I have been watching Marvel's Avengers Assemble, which Yay! is the current TV cartoon. Um, and it's fun. It's cute. I like it pretty well. 
but it's not actually my rec. I mean, I don't not wreck it. But what I'm really here to recommend is the earlier Avengers TV cartoon, which is called Earth's Mightiest Heroes. And that one, um, it only got two seasons, which is very sad because I thought it was really fun and it um, had some really good long-term character arcs with the team. Also, the team included Janet Van Dyne. Wasp was on the team. And uh, in the second season, um, Ms. Marvel became, uh, Carol Danvers' Ms. Marvel became a regular part of the team. Um, I thought it was a really great balanced team with some really interesting stories um, that were told over the course of the two years. And I wish it had gotten way more seasons. But I totally recommend that. It is, I believe, on Netflix. That's how I watched it. And it's if you're looking for something cute and fun and maybe a little lighter than the Marvel Cinematic Universe but with some interesting stories and characterizations then I would say totally check out Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Okay, my rec is a fic. Nobody is surprised. (laughs) It's a story called Good For You by Orbing Arrow. It is a story about Tony having a breakdown, I guess. He is dating a lot of people who abuse him and Steve doesn't like this a whole lot. It really upsets him and Tony has a nervous breakdown and like poisons all his friendships and tries to cut people off. And it's a story about how he comes back to himself and his team. And it's just really, really good. I just, it's like a warm hug. It deals with anxiety and depression and all the things that I may be going through myself right now. And I think it does a really good job of juggling them. So I definitely recommend this fic. It's about 42,000 words. That's a novella. <laughs> yep. Anna, would you read this fic if I gave it to you? How many fics have you promised to give me? How many have I promised to read? I lost count. I haven't given I haven't given you any because no, you haven't read I know. the first one. I know. Anna, you're letting me down here. I'm crying. Hi. Uh, it's because you read too much already. That's why. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You're already exactly. reading like 300 novellas for something else. Yes, indeed I am. How can I ask you to read another one? <laughs> Pretty easy, that's how. <laughs> And we've reached the end of the episode. KJ, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Captain America with us again. You're welcome. I'm always happy to come on and talk about, well, anything, but especially Captain America. You can find us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. You can find KJ on Twitter at... I am KJ. And you're on Tumblr at... Life of KJ. Anna, thanks for recording with me today. You're very welcome. Pleasure as usual. Our music today is by Cheeky Music on YouTube and Pierlo. You can find links to them in our show notes. If you have the inclination, leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye! Bye!